Just the two of us. We can... I don't know the words to that song now. Just the two of us. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Oh, I thought it was. England win on penalties! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Rose Lavelle might have won the World Cup! Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world! South Africa, a rugby World Cup keys! Sports Talk with Callum Byrne, Will Perridge and Ashley Gregory. Hello everyone and welcome back to Sports Talk for episode number 32 of Series 2. I'm Callum Byrne and joined by Ash Gregory. Woo! Hello. You alright? We have, we have no will. We don't know where he is. We don't know what's happened to him. We right. assume he's asleep. <laughs> you know what they say, when there's no will, there's no way. Yeah. So we, I don't know how we're going to manage. Well, the Sports Talk saying is, there's no will, there's no rugby roundup. So... <laughs> You're right, there won't be. That is correct. <laughs> so Fortunately, Fortunately for you, you've got a lot of F1 to talk about this week. Yeah, e- sure. exa- exactly. So, um, just a quick uh, recap, as we do with every single episode. Uh, make sure you follow our social media channels at underscore Sports Talk Pod on Twitter and Instagram, Sports Talk Podcast on Facebook, and subscribe to whatever you listen to us on uh, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And I don't know if you listen to us on Spotify, Ash. Um, no, I'm an Apple Podcast man. You're an Apple Podcast man. Well, mm. I've recently converted to a Spotify man, and today, this week anyway, the Spotify Wrapped for 2020 is coming out, so you can see who your best artist was this year, the most listened to, yeah. but also your top podcast of the year. So, if you are listening to us on Spotify, and we are in either your first or top three on your Spotify Wrapped. Tag us in your Insta stories, in your tweets. Let us know. Let us know. You can have a shout out. We'll shout you out. For everyone who messages us, showing us the screenshot, we will shout you out on next week's episode. How about that? Yeah, sounds good, mate. Um, I feel like the place to start, Ash, this week is the the tragic death of one of football's greatest ever players, Diego yeah. Maradona. Yeah, I mean, it already seems like a little while since it happened um, because of how, you know, the time that we record. But yeah, it was was a big shock. Just 60 years old, um, one of football's most famous faces. He obviously, he had his controversial moments, had his cheating hand of God moment against England. Uh, However you want to describe it, people have mixed feelings. But at the end of the day, he's... He was an absolutely incredible player. That's beyond doubt. Um, he scored goals unlike you ever would have seen before or since. He was, I mean, for, for me, in my opinion, like on a, if you think about it on a global scale, I think mm-hmm. he's the most iconic footballer of all time. It's a good shout. I think. More than Pele. I think so. Yeah. No, you're probably right. You are probably right. I think so. And whether, I don't want to have the debate over whether he's the best player of all time, but I mean, I don't think anyone who anyone who knows a decent amount about football, I don't think anyone would put him outside of their top five, if not top yeah. three. He's well and truly up there. And um, yeah, like I say, he had his demons. He had some controversies throughout his life. But he lived the way he wanted to, and he wasn't afraid to let it show. And you got to respect that. And um, yeah, it's a tragic loss, like you say. 
Yeah, I mean, his influence on the game from a footballing perspective was incredible. You see it today in, in Lionel Messi, based his game off Maradona, and he's one of the greatest there's ever been as well. Um, Aguero is his nephew, and I think I'm right in saying, and he's one of the best players in the world as well. Um, yeah, Messi's tribute to him as well uh, when he scored for Barca and took off the shirt and it was the number 10 the new, the, with the Newell's Old Boys kit underneath. I thought that was um, that was really a nice touch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, It is a, a, a big loss to the sporting world uh, and to football. So, you know, he'll be, he'll be missed, but his legacy will live on. Yeah, well, yeah, and like I say, obviously, you know, put him in that top bracket. You obviously mentioned Pele there. I mean, the, the two of them are probably most people's argument for the two best players. And Pele is, is obviously still with us. So, you know, this is a very strong case for, you know, the, the, the most, um, you know, the, the biggest death of a footballer, if you like, on a, on a world scale. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the hand of God. I don't want to talk about that because the British media do that do that enough. But that that game, is it the nineteen eighty six World Cup? You know, that game showed the best and the worst of Maradona in terms of the handball, mm-hmm. but also scoring one of the greatest goals of all time in the same match, uh, where he went on an incredible mazy run around the whole England team and then put it in the back of the net. I mean, it's a wonderful goal. Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm referring to when I say he scored goals, unlike that, you know, that just can't haven't been replicated. You know, he's the sort of player who would pick up the ball on the halfway line, have a look up and just think, Do you know what, I'll have a go. Yeah. <laughs> and he was more likely than anyone to pull it off and he did he did time and time again score magnificent goals and that's why so many football fans fell in love with him and continue to love him. You know, he was an absolute, he was basically a god in Argentina. Yeah. The way they worship him, if you've ever, ever seen it, a World Cup where he's been there at a game or anything like that, they all, you know, n- no one from there will, will see him without cheering or bowing down to him. That's, that's, that's the level he was at. Yeah, and I'll never forget the pictures from the 2018 World Cup in the game against Nigeria. The, the, the emotions he went through as a fan that day. <laughs> Was, yeah. was brilliant to see. Yeah, not only one of the best players, but you know, one of the biggest fans after after his career as well. Yeah, the, it was pretty much hanging off the balcony trying yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, but um, it's a sad loss and rest in peace. Yeah. Actually, before we move on as well, um, another death of a footballer in the last week, uh, a few days ago, was Papa Buba Diop. Um, yeah. Just want to mention it, mention it while we're on this topic because he was. A big player for Portsmouth in his time with us and um, this one really got to me to be honest because just thinking back to supporting Pompey as a kid um, you know he wasn't one of the most glamorous glamorous players but he was a proper powerhouse centre mid really reliable they called him the wardrobe um, and when I heard about it and I saw tributes from former players that I grew up loving like Carnu and David James couple of others who were in and around, in and around the squad at that time and um, was, I was quite surprised that I, I was genuinely upset um, which yeah. doesn't you know doesn't happen often and gone too soon as well just 42 years old so that was a, on a personal level for me I just wanted to mention that because that was a big shame as well yeah and uh, there's some touching tributes um, in the Fulham game against Leicester in the week as well when mm. uh, was it Ad- uh, Adamola Lookman scored the first goal? They held up his held up his Senegal shirt. Yeah, uh, so it was really nice to see. Yeah. 
Um, shall, we pre- shall we crack into the Premier League? Should we do prediction results? Yeah, and do you know what? I've got predictions ready to do this week. I think we should do them anyway, and I'll just get yeah. Will's predictions off him. Because yeah. let's not give him breathing room. Let's not give him extra opportunity to keep his lead. I think we should put the pressure on. I do, because we are running out of episodes in this series before the new year. We so. are. We'll have a, a few more after this one, probably, to see out the year. Um, okay, anyway, so this round of predictions, well, well, well. Uh, at Palace v Newcastle. Newcastle won 2-0. No one got any points. Everton v Leeds, Leeds won 1-0, no one got any points. Chelsea v v Spurs was 0-0. We both went for a Spurs win and Will picked up a point. West Ham v Villa, as you're well aware, West Ham won 2-1 and Will got three points. Me and you got none. So you can see why I want to do predictions again this week. Yeah. Um, Because me and you both managed to get zero out of four games and Will got four. He'll be pleased when he finds this out, it won't, which won't be till next week because he won't listen to this. No, um, he won't. No. So that leaves me on 11 and you on 12 and Will on 22. So one of us is really going to have to pull something out of the bag here. Oh, dear. Um, should we just quickly do this week's while I'm talking about it or not? Um, yeah, might as well. Okay, fine. Right, so we've got four games again. Uh, Try to mix up the teams a little bit. So the first one... Uh, Saturday, 8 o'clock kickoff, Chelsea against Leeds. Um, I'm going to go for 2 1 to Chelsea. Um, I'll go for 1 0 to Chelsea. Lovely. Next one, Sunday, 12 o'clock kickoff, West Brom against Crystal Palace. You first. Uh, 2 0 Palace. Ooh, I think this is the sort of game West Brom might be able to snatch a win out of if there is going to be any. So I'm going to go for 1-0 to West Brom. Not exactly a nail-biter, but I did have a quick look and noticed that we hadn't predicted a single West Brom game yet. So I thought we'd best (laughs) include it. Um, Sunday at 4.30 then, it's Tottenham against Arsenal in the North London derby. I am going to have to go for a Spurs win. I'm going to say 3-1. 2-1 to Spurs. Okay. And the final one, Monday Night Football, 8 o'clock, Brighton against Southampton. 2-2. Ooh, okay. The face that you pulled inclined you were going to go for a low score. <laughs> but you've gone for a... I don't know. That was a tough one. Both teams are in good form at the moment. And they're both playing good football. Yeah. I'm so. going to go for 1-0 to Brighton. And I will remember to get some predictions out of Will in the next few days. Yes. Um... um Premier League football then, would you, well, would you like to start with the Villa game and the controversy that came from it? Oh, do I have to talk about VAR again? I'm so sick about VAR, but Me I too. suppose it was, the main, it was the main talking point from it, wasn't it? Um, Just, I mean, well, for a start, Villa played quite well and you were unlucky, I'll say that much. I'm sure you feel the same. Yeah, it's very similar to the Brighton game where we dominated the game. We were, when we, especially going forward, we looked really, really good, but mm. just two lapses of concentration. And this time at the start of both halves, I mean, I mean the the second one's what thirty seconds or something into the second half. Um, mm. It's just really, really poor, especially when we had the laps in the first half. We got back into the game. We'd been very much on top and looking like we were gonna. Yeah. 
you know, if there was the team going to win the game, it was going to be us. And then all of a sudden, you just throw away all that good work you did at the end of the first half, and you're back to where you started. And do you, just before we come on to talk about the AR, how would you feel if I suggested that Aston Villa's impressive season is tailing off already after just nine games? Four losses in your last, all four of your losses have come in your last five games. Yeah, I know. That's um, very depressing, but. It is. I think the frustrating thing is that we are so much better than we were last year and we should not have lost all of those. Leeds, we should have definitely lost. We, we weren't good enough that day. Mm. Southampton, we run, you know, we made stupid mistakes and got punished for every single one of them. Uh, but we still managed to get back in the game a little bit. Mm. So is, um, it, is, it, is that a fair statement from me or am I being harsh? It, it looks worse than it is, I would okay. say. It, I think it's been one of those where any mistakes we've made in those games, we've been punished for. Mm. Um, you know, how many times do you see a team s start slowly to a first half or second half and get away with it? Mm. You know, um, you know. But then you make your own luck as well in, in that regard. So this oh, game is frustrating because of the mistakes that cost us the goals in a game we should have won. Um, we missed a couple of really good chances. Trezeguet, I don't know how he's hit that straight at the goalkeeper when he, he's literally just him and Fabianski in the six-yard area. He's got feet in a mess. He's hit it straight at the goalkeeper. Yeah, that was a shame. And of course, you missed the penalty as well. Miss, missed the penalty. Um, I didn't know this. Ollie Watkins, I think, has missed like four of his last six penalties or something. Something wow. crazy like that. Um, which is a surprise that he's come straight in as the penalty taker. Although we never really had a penalty taker. Yeah. Um, so I guess because he scored the last one against Southampton, that's why he was there to take it. Because mm. um, I, I was thinking about this until Watkins scored a penalty against Southampton. Um, since we got promoted, we didn't have a designated penalty taker. Wesley missed one against Norwich, so he was replaced by Grealish. Grealish missed one. Uh, El Ghazi took the next one, but then doesn't is never in the team these days, so he wasn't on the pitch to take it. Uh, the next one we sort of got awarded against Palace, where Connor Harahan was going to take it, but VAR took it away. Mm. Um, and now we're walking. So we don't have a designated penalty taker probably at the moment. So that is an issue. Well, regardless, Watkins might have had another chance, mightn't he? Right at the, right at the end. Yeah. So yeah. he gets he gets goal side of, oh, who is it? Ogbonna? Ogbonna, yeah. The cross comes in. He turns. He turns it in. Good finish, as expected. Does does really well. And as he as he as he runs past Ogbonna, right, Ogbonna's arms sort of go round his chest and shoulders. Yeah, um, round each side of his. Him. He grapples yeah, him. Yeah, round each side of his body, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's what you call. Hug. That's what you call it. So he's being fouled. That's so clear to see. And he he's got he's he's got two choices. He got he goes down or he tries to stay up. And to stay up, he has to continue moving forward. And in doing so, his arm is offside when he scores this goal, when he's being fouled. Mm. So, you know, we've talked about the deliberations of offsides. We know we, we think it's too tight and there should be a bit more leeway in terms of letting things go when they're level, especially if part of your body's offside that you can't score with, so on. We know that, you know. But um, I, my thought from this was, if you compare it to the other VAR controversy this weekend... Welbeck against Liverpool where Robertson kicks his toe 
and then he goes down a second or two later because he's recognized that there has been contact. If I go down, it will definitely get looked at and I might get something from it. Yeah. Watkins, on the other hand, does what we all would like to see the forward do and try and stay on his feet and score the goal. That's exactly what he does. Um, you know, well, fans, the thing fans and well, pundits alike criticize, criticize players for going down far too easily. It's not what he's done. And I think, sorry, I'll just, I think if he'd have gone down, he would have had a penalty because they were looking so intently at the offside. I don't think it got clocked. I don't think they clocked that it was a foul. I mean, their statement says otherwise, but you know they didn't look at it. There's no way that they've looked at that. You know, you do see players, you know, I've criticised Mane, Salah, Grealish gets a lot of abuse for going down easily as well. The matter of the fact is, sometimes these players all get fouled, don't go down, and the, nobody looks at it, nobody gives anything. So players have to go down. I was talking to someone a week ago and they were, you know, they're not into football and they were like, oh, they're, they're divas and they, all they do is roll around on the floor. There's nothing wrong with them. It's like, the thing is, if they don't go down, they're not going to get the foul if yeah. there is a foul. You know, I mean, there's, there's we want different... them to stay on their feet and they won't get anything. There's different levels to it. We're not talking about Suarez rolling around, clutching his ankle against Norwich and then he realises he's got a chance to score so he gets up and starts sprinting immediately. We're talking about just drawing attention to an incident essentially yeah. like you know Watkins didn't act like he was fouled so they didn't come to the assumption that he could have been um, if he goes down it's it's definitely a foul whether or not it's in or out of the box is irrelevant it's a foul yeah it's just it's just so annoying it's and, and the thing is as well is that the new hand they messed the, the handball roll up so much and they've had to change it so now They've got to do it from the t-shirt line and it means that now that you can be offside with a part of your body that you can't score with, it just yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's atrocious. <laughs> and uh, I've seen as well, the Eredivisie, the Dutch First Division, have actually gone against the instruction and the application of VAR in, this, in these incidents. And they've made the lines thicker mm. and if the lines, if the lines touch then it's level and onside um i think that i think that's a good early step to at least try and address some of these really niggly issues that are just yeah winding up fans it's I not i'm not saying it's the prime solution but it's a it's a good idea some of the issues are that like i said on last week's podcast going to the monitor doesn't do anything because they're not looking at the incident they're just being told why they're wrong mm. and then they're changing the decision mm -hmm. um because I've been racking my brain the last few days, like, we never had this at the World Cup, and VAR, bar some subjective decisions on fouls, mm. worked an absolute treat. So how have we got to this stage? There was no needle point offsides that come mm. to mind. So I almost wonder if the way to, to get the offside thing right is... Um, do it on forget drawing the lines do it by eye level like the linesman because the linesmen are redundant now effectively any decision they give pretty much can get changed then they're, they're basically not needed mm, they have to delay their flag till the end of play anyway yeah so i i wonder if the var at stockley park should only have to do it from eye level no lines on the screens and I think most importantly, we need to be we need to be miking up the, the uh, video assistant referees and the referees themselves, because otherwise there's no accountability. There's no way of knowing if that you know we don't know if they checked for a foul. Mm. 
we have a statement where they said, yeah, we did, and we didn't think it was a clear and obvious error. Well, clear and obvious is out the window anyway now, because mm. it's just not so far that. past that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they've, they've got to sort this out. Not at the end of the season. They've got to sort it out now, because by the time fans get back in the stadium, if we're still having these issues in 12 months' time, VAR is finished in this country. Because the fans hate it at the moment. You've got to get it to a point where it is palatable for the fans and yeah. works and actually helps the referees. Because it, otherwise it will be finished in this country. Yeah. And some Premier League fans might even think, do you know what? I've not been, I've not been for so long looking at the way it is now, how much has changed. I'm not even that fussed about going back. It's a possibility. So, uh, I'm, uh, that, that's all I have to say on VAR, really. I'm just... <laughs> yeah sure okay right um, well let's move on then um, did you catch Raul Jimenez's really horrendous looking injury in Wolves' win over Arsenal it was a painful one wasn't it yeah so I didn't watch the game but I've seen the clip and I, mm. I, I, I couldn't listen to it with sound because I knew that you could hear something really nasty in it so yeah um, uh it's it it is a nasty incident, and you really feel for Raúl Jiménez at the moment. Yeah, um, because so, it, it was a fractured skull, isn't it? That's the same injury that Ryan Mason had a couple of years ago. That ended his career. It did, and, yeah. You know, you don't want to see the same thing happen to to Jiménez, really. He's no, such a good player. Yeah, definitely not. He's a very big player for Wolves, obviously. Um, and it, it yeah, like, I've seen, I have watched the clip with sound, and um, just because I'd heard, I'd heard about. You know how shocking it was, so I wanted to wanted to see it. So him, he goes up for the ball. For, he goes up for the ball when it's crossed in. Um, I think it's from a corner, and it um, is, David yeah. Luiz so goes up with him. Mm, and and the clash, the sound, the sound it makes when they clash heads is really horrific. It is shockingly loud, considering it's not anywhere near a yeah. mic or anything. Um, you just and you know every player immediately knows something's up, turns and starts waving to the bench and that. And yeah, it, oh god, it, it's horrendous. Really feel for him. Hope it turns out okay. I think it's um, I don't know, I don't know exactly, but it's it's he's he's okay, isn't he? Like it's nothing. Um, yeah, it's not life threatening or anything. He's in. Yeah, like he's he's not been put into an induced coma or anything. So mm. uh, he's awake. Yeah. So good. Hopefully he makes a full recovery and we see him return to the pitch in good health sooner rather than later. Um. One thing I found interesting was that David Luiz stayed on the pitch, got his head bandaged up, and then came off at half-time. I, f- I don't know what you think, but I feel that when it's a head injury, if the player's obviously got a sense of pride to stay on the pitch. Well, for any sort of injury, I suppose, but obviously there's more medical concern when it is a, when it is a clash of heads. Um, I think... Uh, uh, Substitute like an extra substitution should be allowed, like some sort of you know, like yeah. head, in, head injury, extra sub. Well, well, rugby have got blood subs, haven't they? So, yeah, I, I, I have a feeling that we should end up with concussion subs in football, yeah, because look, um, player, manager, managers don't want to make a sub and, and use us use an extra sub, or they don't want to lose a certain player if it's a key player. Um, the player themselves, you know, if they're a little bit hurt or whatever. They don't want to let the team down by going off early, but they shouldn't they shouldn't feel that way. They shouldn't look at it like no. that. If 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 there's a minor concern for health at all, which always there is when it's a clash of heads or a head injury, it should just be it should be 
it should be as simple as a free substitute. Yeah, and the thing is as well, David Luiz was only subbed because of the cut was preventing him from heading the football, <laughs> not the actual trauma to mm. to his to his head. So, um, yeah, I mean the concussion protocols clearly don't go far enough because there's no way he should have stayed on that pitch for however long he was still on there for. Yeah, I agree. And at the moment, well, like I've listed, there's you know, there's many reasons why a player will stay, will play on if he feels okay or well enough. But um, you you can't analyse the situation properly while um, while play while play's still going on. You know, the player has to come off the pitch and mm. be looked at, and because the risk of aggravating it or you know making it worse is just too high. Um. Anyway. One last game can we talk about? Yeah, yeah, before definitely. Before we move on. Because um, there was a big game at the bottom of the table, wasn't there, between West Brom and Sheffield United. Yeah. West Brom have won 1-0. Sheffield United have now made the worst start in Premier League history. Worse than that Derby team. Worse than that Sunderland, that Villa team, that Huddersfield team in the, that we've had in the last few years. They are now officially the worst starting team in Premier League history. One, one, point, point, one point from 10 games. So if they keep it there... They're on course to get three point eight points. Three point eight points this season, total. Yeah, I mean, and that was a ve- that was a very big defeat because we now see we now see them already six points adrift of Fulham, who have moved up to seventeenth. Worrying, worrying times. But yeah. for me, I think look at what Chris Wilder's done for that club. I think stick with him. If if it was up to me, if if they're going to go, if they're going to have an embarrassing season and go down, back the man who took them from League One to on the cusp of European football in their first season in the Premier League. Let's not forget it wasn't just a staying up season last last time. It was a it was a remarkably good season, and they shocked pretty much everyone. Um, I think he's I think he's earned he's earned the right to deserve another crack at it. Again, oh yeah, 100%. But in today's game, you just can't be. You just can't be sure. Is the thing is, well, there's so much money involved in the. You know, if it just if you can stay in the league, it's worth so much money. You know, mm. it, it does get to a point where loyalty will only get you so far. If you have, to, you know, the owners mm. will look at it. Hundred million for staying in the league, mm. or in TV revenue next year, or ten. It's like ten to twenty million if you're in the championship. So, you know, you have to look at it and you might end up going, we've got to roll the dice and try and make something work. I think the main thing is is that their style of play has been found out. They were a team that really thrived on confidence and team unity and ethic. And that's, you know, they've taken such a battering in the early part of the season now that, you know, confidence is on the floor. They they can't score. They're struggling to defend. Um, they need to get themselves to January, you'd think, still in the fight so that they can bring in a goal scorer, maybe bring in some quality at, at the back as well and try and just scrape out of this. Yeah, but for me, just thinking about the alternatives to Wilder, you know, if they sacked him and brought in Sam Allardyce, for example, that I find that so depressing. Yeah, yeah, I know, 100%, you know. 
Chris Wilder's a Sheffield United fan. He he had, he was a former season ticket holder. It's his club. Mm. You know, he knows more than anyone what it means. He's not he's not just done well. He's done unimaginably well. At, yeah. Up until this season, so hopefully they pay hopefully they pay him his dues and give him time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one other thing I did want to touch on was um, uh, Man United's comeback from 2-0 down at Southampton. Don't have to go into too much detail, but Edison Cavani coming off the bench, scoring two good goals and getting an assist uh, for the three for the three uh, for the 3-2 win. Sorry, um, I just feel like he sort of proven him proven that he can be a useful player. I think that's a really big win for Sol- Solskjaer in particular. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, given the pressure that was on him, arguably. What the most important win of his career in charge of United, based on how things have been going. Um, um, yeah, I just think Cavani sort of maybe might surprise a few people this season based on the opinion around him. I think he offers something different for them, a bit more of a focal point for their attack as opposed to just being full of players that have got pace. Mm. And um, there's some really smart finishes as well. That that win. He's a natural goal scorer, isn't he? He's scored goals everywhere he's gone. So, yeah, I think um, I can I could you know can see him potentially having a couple of good seasons for them before he starts yeah. to slow before he starts to slow down. Oh, and um, the other, other thing I noticed when I looked at the league table as well. Oh, sorry, I heard after West Ham beat you. Sorry to bring it up again, <laughs> but I I, I heard. Um, Oh, West Ham up to fifth, and I went, "What? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean West Ham are fifth? I was like, they're about twelfth, aren't they? And they double checked the table. I was like, oh, bloody hell! Yeah, they climbed won... five places or something. When yeah, they beat us on Monday. Yeah, yeah, they've won three games. They've won three games in a row, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they're here. I was just, it's just like, hang on. I, I suppose I just hadn't looked at it. I just forgot. I just thought, well, it's West Ham. They're somewhere between eleventh and sixteenth. <laughs> and I, I know that for sure. <laughs> but they're not. They're fifth. <laughs> I don't know what's happened. Yeah, it's funny. I was I was talking to someone on just before the game on Monday, and I said, we've got we've already got a game in hand. So, and we're the last to play this week, and the first to play next week. So, if we beat West Ham on Monday and then beat Newcastle on Friday night, we'll be top of the league on Friday night. <laughs> Yeah. And then we've lost to West Ham and the game's been postponed on Friday. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, yeah. So, because wow. um, of the, the COVID outbreak at Newcastle, mm. so um, hopefully they can get that under control because it's the first game to be postponed since the restart. So, um, if they end up with more fixtures postponed and if it affects any other clubs, we can end up with an even bigger backlog of fixtures than we already do. We've now got two games in hand. Yeah, fingers crossed that's not the somewhere. case. I mentioned last week I talked about Accrington Stanley and League One they've got four games in hand on some of the teams in and around them because of the exact same thing not an ideal scenario to be in obviously for many reasons um, okay that rounds us off jump, for the Premier League then it does um, the FA Cup third round draw was done mm. um, the other day There was the highlights from that were Marina at home to Spurs oh yes is it Boreham Wood are playing Derby Am I uh, right? I can't remember. No, Chorley, got, Chorley are playing Derby. Chorley. Chorley are playing Derby. Um, we've got the Ashes Mums Workplace Derby between Portsmouth and Bristol, Bristol City. I think we, are playing, we are playing Bristol City. Bristol yeah. City. Uh, we've got Liverpool. Wills Arsenal have got a boring draw to Newcastle. Uh, Man City are playing Birmingham City. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 
yeah. So that, those are pretty much the highlights from it, from what I took. Yeah, look forward to that as well. That's the the week the weekend of the 9th of January. Yeah. Uh, not too fast about us. Um, wouldn't mind if we just go out to be honest. But um, that Marine Tottenham game, I can't wait to see that. They yeah, have you true. seen have you seen the images on Twitter? So Marine have got back gardens that back onto not die right onto the pitch but um, mm. there's just like a fence there's a pitch and then a standing area and then the fences and and <laughs> then it's people's back gardens so on there's this big you know like the caging you get around the edge of like a five-a-side pitch yeah there's a big wall like that like alongside the back gardens um, to stop the balls going over there so much but there's the house numbers of the houses are on this fence so that if the ball does go over whoever goes around there can look and they know which house number to knock on <laughs> <laughs> then like Harry Kane's going to be playing that I mean he probably won't but no. <laughs> like just the thought of that Harry Kane jumping the fence yeah get the football yeah Youngmin Son knocks on your door and asks for his ball back please <laughs> I thought that was brilliant oh yeah so we'll, we'll we'll look forward to that um we've just had a round of fixtures in the EFL haven't we we have yeah we About half are half around yeah half around. yeah <laughs> This round's been split over, uh, well, we're recording Wednesday. So some of it was yesterday, some of it is today, and we haven't seen it yet. Um, but still, there's a bit of news. Um, Wayne Rooney is in charge of Derby. That's um, come out of nowhere. I mean, as we all know, if you're a name that, if you're a com- common name and people people know your name, then you automatically are in contention for managers' jobs these days. Yes. Um, <laughs> But uh, he couldn't, couldn't win his first game. No, Hamer's Hamer's uh, well, not stunner, but good strike for Coventry anyway. Meant they meant they finished one all. He couldn't finish, couldn't win his first game in charge. So mm-hmm. they do get, they do stick to bottom of the table. Um, other news in the championship. Have you seen Scott Sinclair's goal for Preston? I have. Yeah, against Bournemouth yeah. last night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, brilliant chip from about four, forty yards or so. Finds Asmi Begovic off his line. Um, and then Preston went 3-0 up at Bournemouth, who pulled a couple back, uh, but it wasn't quite enough. That was a big win for them and incredible goal for him as well. Yeah. Um, we, don't, we don't really need to worry too much about, I suppose, the the tables because they are going to change. So I'll just quickly flick through a couple other bits. Um, Steve Cottrell's yeah. taken over Shrewsbury in League One to try and address their situation. They're second from bottom at the moment on just nine points. Uh, they're only above Wigan as well. and We all know the trouble they've been through. Um, yeah. And also in League One, Sunderland have sacked Phil Parkinson. Yeah, they're just outside the playoffs, aren't they? They are. It's not a terrible start for them, really. They've got a game in hand. Well, they're a place below Pompey, and they've got a game in hand on us, and they're only one point behind. Um, so, you know, they're in seventh, 24 points from the first 14. Only two losses, but it's been this way for them since they've yeah. since they've been at this level. They just draw so many games that they should win. Yeah, that, that's been their real issue in the in the third. It's crazy to say the third tier. Um, they've got so many off the field problems as well, and you feel like those owners just from watching the Netflix documentary, they don't want playoffs. They want automatic, no more, no nothing more, nothing less. Sort of, you know. It is not that easy in in a league where every season the teams that the teams that are relegated come down and compete with an already impressive bunch of teams and make life difficult. Yeah. That's exactly what's happening again. Um, well, you talked about the ownership there. Um, I don't know if you've heard, but there's talk of a, of a new owner, a 23-year-old billionaire stepping in and taking over a majority share. It's basically um, 
as far as I know, he just comes from a really rich family and right. uh, he's just using his dad's money. Um, but um, Stuart Donald and the other owner, whose name escapes me, um, are both going to have a small stake, you know, like 10 to 20%. Mm-hmm. This guy's just apparently going to buy out half or just over half. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, I've actually found the tweet I was looking for. Oh, yeah. So they've sacked, I think it's their, they're looking for their sixth manager in four years or something crazy like that. But they are now without a chairman, a first team manager, a head of recruitment, an academy manager, an under 18s manager. And you throw in the absentee owners, part owners, a financial hole in the accounts. Uh, so everything, uh, oh, and no first team assistant manager and no under 18s assistant manager as well. Well, Lots of problems. They ought to hire the recruitment guy first, I think. Yes. Yeah, that is horrendous. Uh, apparently, um, Gus Poyet has been like linked with a return as well. Do you hear that? No, I didn't, but so that's that a, wouldn't be that's a bad a appointment. That's <laughs> he a did rumor, okay yeah. for them, I suppose, in the Premier League. No, it wouldn't be a bad appointment from, from, from them. I'm not sure. I'd like to hear it from him, to be honest. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um... I know um, that there's a round of fixtures going on, but did South End win? No, they wow. lost. They lost three 0 to Bolton, who are, uh, you know, I think every team thinks they can nab something off. They're not doing too bad now they're in League Two, but the sort of team that, um, you know, you look at and think, well, maybe we can snatch something off them because they're mm. sort of in disarray the last couple of years. Um, South End unfortunately could not. You're listening to Sports Talk. So, Formula One, it has been a manic weekend and a yeah. manic few days as well. Um, if we start with the most recent news, I suppose, Lewis Hamilton has contracted COVID-19 after winning the Bahrain Grand Prix at the weekend. Uh, so he will now sit out at least uh, this weekend's Secure Grand Prix. Uh, mm. will most likely miss the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix uh, the weekend after. Uh, he's been replaced by George Russell, uh, who's currently at Williams, uh, but he's a Mercedes junior driver. So they've made a short-term loan to free him from his Williams deal for either this race and possibly the race after. Um, really good opportunity for him because uh, he's definitely one of the main contenders to be in that Mercedes seat for 2022. So it's a really big weekend for George Russell. Um, Formula 2 driver Jack Aitken, who is Williams' test and reserve driver, is going to drop in in the Williams for at least this weekend as well. Uh, someone who I didn't think would actually make the Formula 1 grid at all. Um, seems to have caught a break. He's had a really tough year in F2. So, you know, we wish him all the best. So an extra Brit on the grid replacing Lewis. Um We'll talk about the horror crash for Roman Grosjean in a minute, but obviously he's not taking part this weekend. Um, so the Haas test and reserve driver Pietro Fittipaldi, grandson of two-time Formula One world champion Emerson Fittipaldi, will be in for this weekend. Um, oh. But if Grosjean can't do the race after, it will be a toss-up between Fittipaldi and then one of Haas's new drivers for next year, which have been announced in the last couple of days, which is... Uh, Russia's Nikita Mazepin and the son of seven-time Formula One world champion Mick Schumacher, who was announced this morning as a Haas F1 Grand Prix driver. 
Um, neither of them could could fit in this weekend because they're doing the F2 finale at the same track. So uh, Schumacher wants to win the F2 title and Mazepan is still just about in contention for that. So that's why Fittipaldi would be in the car. Um, but yes, they'll be in... Uh, so the actual Bahrain Grand Prix wasn't a very good race. I don't think anyone really cared in the end because on the first lap there was an absolutely horrific and there is no other way of saying it, it was a horrific accident. Yeah, for sure. For for Roman Grosjean where I mean his car literally blew up. Yeah, it split in two and blew up, yeah. Um so I mean there's a you know, it was a miracle. A minor a miracle that he, he survived that. Um, obviously, some people say it wasn't a miracle. It's down to the science and the health and safety that the FIA have done, which is very true. But there are a lot of variables where he was extremely lucky, very, very lucky. I think he did. He, he has. He has said the words, "The halo saved my life," hasn't yes. he? And there is no question about it that the halo saved his life because, mm. I mean, if you haven't seen it, so he's he's he was they were, they were going down the straight out of turn three um there's a couple of slow cars up ahead because there was contact through turns two and three one car's gone to the left to avoid and is running through the gravel trap which is Kimi Raikkonen Grosjean's just behind it he's gone to switch lanes if you like to the right hand side of the circuit so he's not going to get caught up behind all these cars or maybe even hit one of these cars but in his blind spot he's completely missed the Alpha Tauri of Danny Kvyat he, there's a possibility he might have had a front right puncture because he did run over some debris which would have maybe helped the excessive veer over to the right hand side um, but as he's gone veering across the track uh, he's hit Kvyat and speared off into the wall at 137 miles an hour hit the barrier with a 50g impact and think of it like this so on the motorway you've got your central reservation think of a barrier like that but three of them stacked on top of each other. So there are little gaps in between them, probably that you can only fit a finger, finger's width, maybe even two fingers width, not a big gap at all. But the angle and the way he's hit the barrier, the front of the car has gone through it. Uh, the halo has then opened it up as he's gone through, through the barrier. And Formula One cars, as they're designed to, is to basically just dissipate the energy by breaking into as many million pieces as possible. So the car snapping in two, as dramatic as it looked, did what it was meant to do. Yeah. Because that way it dissipated a lot of the energy away from the driver. Because otherwise, I mean, the reason it's snapped is because the way it's, got, it's gone into the barrier but hasn't been able to come back out the other side. So the rest of the car's done that and that's why it's split. Um, obviously when it's split, it's either punctured the fuel bag Mm. Or, or the, the fuel in the system has managed to be spilt in some way, un, maybe unsurprisingly in an accident so violent, which is obviously which has ignited and caused this massive inferno. Um, Grosjean was lucky for many reasons. One that he wasn't knocked unconscious. Uh, you know, the barrier could have he could have hit the barrier in a way that it's gone through the halo because there are gaps in the halo there's no windscreen it could have, it could have been pierced by it by a piece of barrier um, yeah so many different things you know it, the, enough of the car has gone through the barrier that he can get out the other side 
th things like that. Um, yeah, it was very lucky in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, and I think it's just testament to you know Grosjean, other drivers, lots of fans. I'll put myself in that hat. Did not want the halo when it was first introduced. Because, you know, it did, it was very heavy. It weighs the cars down by about twenty two kilos. The cars were already heavy enough. Yeah, aesthetically, it looks, it's just not pleasing. Looks ugly. It obstructs the driver's view. That was um, yeah. I was going to say I was going to say that if you didn't, there was a lot of um, yeah. Oh, it was a controversial topic when it was first brought in. I suppose wasn't it? There was a lot of it, doubters. It was yeah. Uh, and but in just it's been in Formula One for this is his third season on the cars and it's already proved to it's already saved lives it's already worth it it's already paid for itself yeah. yeah it has yeah and in many ways now i don't i think you need to it's already in a lot of the junior categories no single seater racing car should be allowed on a racetrack without a halo now it doesn't matter what category it is whether it's formula four or whatever mm -hmm. no open cockpit racing cars should have should not be allowed to go on a racetrack without a halo yeah. it's so easy to forget how dangerous it can be you know you go a long time without anything serious happening and then all of a sudden these incidents pop up and it's like bam straight back in the spotlight you know this yeah. sport this sport can kill you pretty much and everyone remembers it but now you'd like to think that it'll be a very long time or it'll just never happen again that a driver dies yeah and you know we, we all forget how dangerous motorsport is. Um, the FIA have done such a good job in moving safety along. They had a new fire suit brought in for this season, actually, which gave the drivers fireproofing for up to 20 seconds rather than 10 seconds. It's the gloves, which only have about 10 seconds of fireproofing, which is why Grosjean only has burns to his hands. Mm. He's, you know that, that new race suit has helped to save his life or to at least mean that his burns are are only on his hands and one foot because he lost a shoe in the accident. I don't really know how, but he jumped up the car and there was a shoe missing. So. Yeah, it, yeah, it could be a lot worse. And I mean, any, I, I obviously wasn't watching it live, but I can only imagine. Must have been very scary to watch, to be honest, because you just don't know. You you, you could have just thought, well, he's gone. He's not getting out yeah. of there. I mean, when you think back to, we lost Antoine Hubert, the F2 racer at Spa last year, and Jules Bianchi uh, at the Japanese Grand Prix in 2014. Um, both of those accidents weren't actually on the live feed when they happened. Mm. So the only real footage you've got of those accidents are people at the tracks, you know, filming on your mobile phone, like, like we do. Mm. Um, as whereas this accident was caught on the world feed at the start of the race. And that, I think, mm. makes it all the more horrific in a way. Everybody saw it. It was live. There's so much footage of it, yeah. Um, so, I just, mean... Just on that as well, actually. Um, slightly different take on it. What do you think of... I'm pretty sure it was Daniel Ricciardo who yeah. I saw say, you know what I'm going to say. Yeah, he basically came out and said... The amount, it, was, it was after the incident, but before they before they um, returned to the track. And he just said the amount of time, everywhere I look, every screen I see, I'm seeing this played over and over and over again. You know, I can't, we can't get away from it. I think he said he was disgusted by the mm -hmm. amount that it was being shown and that there should be a bit more respect for the drivers, especially when they're expected to return to the track so quickly after their you know, their colleague, their competitor, whatever you want to call him, um, you know, has been through something like that. Um, and 
I can't say I disagree with him. There's, there's a, a fine balance. Yeah. So with the Hubert accident, with the Bianchi accident, where they knew it was serious, no replays were shown at all. That Formula One are very good in, in terms of they will not show replays of an accident until they know a driver is okay. They won't mm. show you that the, you know, if it looks like a serious accident, they won't necessarily put the camera on the crash scene until they know a driver is okay so the re it's not like the replays were shown instantly until they knew Grosjean was out of the car in the medical car and you know had no life-threatening injuries that's when they played the replays because it, I think it, a lot of fans and I'll put myself in that once I know the driver is okay I want to know what happened I want to see this accident because yeah we saw it from quite far away you know people want to know and it was important. Sure. We didn't know the car had necessarily been ripped into two until we saw the replays. Mm. But there is a balancing act of showing it. You know, you only need to show the replays a couple of times, and then you 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 can sort of leave it, and you can put them on Twitter and YouTube. And yeah, and I guess at the same time, uh, the race stopped, but the coverage didn't stop. No, they, that's they, the thing they, as well. They, they had they, four corners in, of racing. They're in that, they're in improvisation mode. Mm -hmm. They're in fill time mode so they've got to come up with something and they've got yeah. obviously that's the key incident that everyone wants to know about so you're right i do see your point but i feel like maybe some more consideration could have been made to whatever environment drivers were in and around at the time yeah i mean there is that's... one camera angle as well which they did not show so which is the onboard of grosjean they have shown the onboard ju up until the point where he just before he hits the barriers so, right. you know, arguably that's an angle that some people would want to see just to see what happened, I guess, after that point yeah. from the onboard. But that's a that, you know that's a camera angle that they they obviously thought was too violent or to show it too close to home. Yeah, sure. So you know that that there there is some consideration, and you can't plan for an incident like that. So I think they did well under the circumstances. Yeah. And I think we should also throw out, you know, the, the um, Dr. Ian Roberts and Alan van der Merwe, the two guys in the medical car, did an absolutely phenomenal job. And, you know, that, you know, they're, they're not needed that often. But I mean, mm -hmm. to, to pull up to a, a scene like that and just drive straight in with fire extinguishers and uh, Dr. Ian Roberts was, you know, straight into the, to help Grosjean out. So, you know, mm -hmm. those guys, those guys are arguably even braver. You know, it takes some real guts to do that. Yeah, definitely agree. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, that's yeah. the longest I've let you talk about F1 in a while. Yeah, well, I've, I don't think we've ever done a podcast where there's been so much to talk about, mm. so much news in the last couple of days as well. So um, we'll be back for more next weekend. Next week. At the same track, but a different layout. All right, just to close us off then. Um, BBC's shortlist for the Sports Personality of the Year has come out. Mm -hmm. Tyson Fury has kindly asked to be removed from, from said list. Yes, he is one of he is one of six, and he's basically said, um, "Let me see." Um, yeah, he said, B "BBC, please take me off your list. I'm the people's champion and, and have no need for verification or any awards. I know who I am and what I've done in the sport. I have the love of the people, which means more to me than all the awards in the world." Interesting approach. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Do you think they'll? It's so weird, isn't it? Do you think they'll take him off? Everyone's just vote for him now. 
<laughs> for a laugh. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I guess. I guess they might. I don't know. I, what, would they what, want to find, give it? Find find someone else to fill in, or just run with the five? I suppose. Yeah. Like obviously, the BBC hold it quite highly, you know, and it's a yeah, prestigious thing, and it's a vote yeah. and all of that. So I don't think I don't think they'd want that. No, they might not. Image of giving it someone who giving it someone who's openly said he doesn't want it. So yeah, never know. But then yeah, I guess they got away that one up, haven't they? I just um, thought it was. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a strange list this year, anyway. So it's all about the sports talk awards. That's where it's all, That's where it's at. Yeah, Maybe a few weeks away. After that one instead. <laughs> yeah, a few weeks away. Well, I'm happy if you're happy. Yes. No, I am no. Happy. No need for a quiz, I suppose. No. Will gets off scot-free. Yeah. It's just because he's got a lead in, in both of them. He doesn't <laughs> want people to take him on. So maybe maybe next week's should be worth double or something. I don't know. Oh, not if I'm the one who's doing the quiz. Oh, no the next... Okay, why don't we make a deal here? <laughs> the next one that Will does <laughs> is worth double. That's, so, that's between me and you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to see how he's going to take that. <laughs> uh, well, if you want to see how he takes that, I guess you better tune in next week when we tell him. So, um, so we hit we hit the business end of season two. Yeah, as we hit the business end of the second series. Remember, um, like, subscribe, follow Sports Talk Podcast on Facebook, underscore Sports Talk Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe Spotify iTunes, Apple Podcasts, <laughs> Google Podcasts, any podcasting system, SoundCloud, we are there. Do it. Do it now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's goodbye from Ash. And goodbye from Callum. Can't really be funny with it when it's just me and you. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, we didn't mention Martin Wycorn once. Oh, you have now because I've left that in. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Sports Talk with Callum Byrne, Will Perry and Ashley Gregory.